We are tired, tired of the numbers, tired of the conflict. But with one person dying every minute in America from coronavirus, maybe it's time to swallow deeply, take a deep breath, and begin to consider how real this virus has become. Christians seem just as divided as non-Christians. Herman Cain, a former candidate for president, died Thursday from COVID. He recently attended a political rally without a mask, without social distancing in Oklahoma. No, this is not a political stand. My heart is saddened as we started the week with news from an idyllic place, Strawberry, Alabama. Warrior Creek Missionary Baptist Church went ahead last week with a summer revival, as usual. I credit a Baptist revival in my teens for my meeting Jesus. Then the news. One person had it. They paused the revival. By this week, 40 people, including the pastor, had COVID. May Christians never forsake the gospel, but may we share our faith safely. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris, sharing the great story that's all about Jesus and a special program called The Church and the Virus. And we're doing this special program in light of the coronavirus as now the death toll has reached one fatality a minute in the United States, a whole lot less in Canada. No, we're not going to have the mask debate in the next few minutes. We're not going to argue over hydrochloroquine. There's another debate raging, though, and that is what does the Bible mean on calling Christians to not leave off assembly. Joining us today is a Christian ethicist who's also the president of Regent College, an evangelical Christian graduate school in Vancouver. Together, we'll look for answers to our questions from God's Word about how the church deals with this virus and the fallout we're seeing all over the world as well as within the church. But first, let me ask you another question. Have you seen the new movie, I Still Believe? It's been 18 plus years, you know, since I wrote the song, I Still Believe. My pain, my hurt, the struggles, the realness of it. The song was just authentic. I still believe in your faithfulness. I still believe in your truth. I still believe in your word. This resolve hit me. I remember just going, I want to share this story. I still believe. One of Jeremy Camp's first hit songs, written after his first wife went home to be with the Lord. I still believe. And now it's the title to a brand new movie about his true life story. My wife and I watched it a few nights back and were deeply touched by the film's message of hope and how Jesus walked with Jeremy and Melissa Camp in their greatest trial. And that's something we all need more of today, wouldn't you say? After the program, I want to send you a copy of this new movie on DVD for your gift to this listener-supported ministry. This movie might move you to tears. It did for me. But I know there'll be tears of joy that will renew your faith in the power of hope found only in Jesus. Here's the number to call after the program, 800-654-2836, 800-654-2836. Or go online, watch the trailer and a little excerpt from the movie, and then you can make your gift at haventoday.org, haventoday.org. Now, the music of Jeremy Camp, and I still believe. The scattered words and empty thoughts seem to pour from my heart. I've never felt so torn before. Seems I don't know where to start. 
But it's now that I feel you graceful like rain From every fingertip washing away my I still seem to bear Well, even when answers slowly unwind It's my heart I see you prepare But it's now that I feel Your grace fall like rain From every fingertip Washing
The music of Jeremy Camp, and I still believe here in Haven today. I'm Charles Morris. We are tired, and when people get tired, they argue. They tend to assert themselves over others. My appeal is that every Christian think and act biblically. Joining us from Vancouver, British Columbia, for the very first time is Dr. Jeff Greenman. He's a Christian ethicist, and he's also the president of the Evangelical Christian Graduate School, Regent College. Jeff, welcome for the first time to Haven Today. Glad to be with you, Charles. I said earlier that we as Christians need to think and act biblically, but there's a great debate going on among Christians, and it seems to keep getting louder. Let's just start out in God's Word, and I'm thinking about Hebrews 10.25. Can you begin to unpack that for us all? No, no, glad to. And uh, it's, a re- it's interesting that I think in this day and age with uh, the virus upon us and the different social conditions and everything else that everybody truly around the world is going through, you, you look at different biblical passages maybe a little differently than you did before. Mm-hmm. You say, oh, what does that mean for us today? And I think that's the right conversation to look at Scripture and say, okay, well, how does this bear upon our lives today? I guess my starting point is to say we need to take the Bible very seriously. I do. We teach people at Regent College, too. My field is Christian ethics. I'm concerned for people living out of deeply biblical faith in an integrated way across every area of life. So with Hebrews, let's just think about Hebrews 10 a little bit. Just to step back from that immediate text, Hebrews is really about the problem of Christians falling away, people that are, in a sense, defaulting on their faith. They're giving up on the cause of Christ. And part of that is not wanting to meet together. And I think maybe there's a kind of parallel to this, people who would say, well, this Jesus thing, yeah, that's good. This Bible, yeah, pretty good. But meeting together, I don't think we really need to do that. Those kind of people aren't my people, maybe. So I don't need this. I don't need to gather. It's not that important. I can get on fine without gathering. And that's the issue that's sort of in the water. So Hebrews is a call to perseverance. It's not to default on your faith, give up on your faith, move backward on your faith. And part of that call to perseverance and to actually growth spiritually is go on meeting together. Do not neglect to meet together. Do not, actually, the Greek word is interesting. It's, it's really forsake uh, meeting together, which is a very strong word. It's, it's, uh, it's really turning your back on something. You know, let, let's do one thing here, Jeff, because we've got a few people that may not actually know the verse that we're talking about. But if you became a Christian years ago like I did, the version of the Bible that you were probably using said, forsake not the assembling of the brethren. Right. Now, that's not always used in newer English translations. Yeah. Uh, what's the verse? And then let's tackle well, let me, it let a me little more. Well, let me read you what, what I've got here. This is the new RSV. You could read many other versions. But uh, let us uh, consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Not neglecting to meet together, not forsaking meeting together. Depends on how you translate the Greek word. As is the habit of some those that the writer is really pointing their finger at and saying, those folks, they're going off the rails, right? Not as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, the day sort of capital D day, right? The day of judgment, the sort of final day coming. Mm -hmm. This is important. And it's within this bigger, in a sense, eschatological framework that he's thinking. So you're making very direct pastoral advice to people to positively provoke one another to love and good deeds and to not forsake the meeting together the way that they have been. So, Jeff, as we started our program, before you came on with us, 
I was talking about a church that had had a revival in Alabama. We started a week together hearing that 40 people in this small church, many of them not wearing face masks, most of them, uh, many of them, most of them, not socially distancing, and yet they began thinking God is on our side, we're not going to get it, now 40 people have it. Now, they are using this verse to justify their having assembled. But how do you reflect on this as a scholar, somebody who knows your Greek, but you've also studied the context of Hebrews here? You're not just plucking a verse out of anywhere to defend a position you maybe already have. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned when I hear our brothers and sisters proof texting is what I'd call it, right? Just taking a, a single isolated verse and quickly attaching it to some contemporary event, rather than actually trying to say, well, what what does this mean in the context of uh, Hebrews chapter 10. So it is It is in a context where people are backsliding, is the word that we would use this day. And this is a call to persevere in meeting with one another and building one another up. Uh, it says, consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. What we're meant to do when we are gather is provoke one another to love and good deeds in the context of our gathered life as worshiping people, offering praise and glory to God, building one another up, hearing from, from Scripture, hearing, yes. hearing the preached word, all of the great things that happen when, this, when, when people gather together in worship and to build one another up. And so in this context, that's really what's going on. This is a, a warning against backsliding, and it's for the sake of building people up. It doesn't say uh, anything in this text that somehow people are being prevented by a legal uh, maneuver of some kind or a public health guidance to say, well, you know, you don't need to, uh, yeah, you don't need to pay attention to all of that. Uh, and somehow neglecting to meet together is a very good warning for us all because we don't want to just be individualistic Christians. We need one another. We want to learn and grow together. But there's nothing in this context that says, well, you know, the authorities don't want us to meet. But, hey, you know what? This verse actually prompts us to defy that, that sort of public health order and go ahead. Partially because I think, Charles, it says, you know, let, a, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. We have lots of other ways that we can, we can provoke one another to love and good deeds. We can build one another up in fellowship. We can have preaching. There's online mm -hmm. services. I've been a part of that for months now. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's alternatives to gathering physically. And in this context, I think that actually is the responsible thing to do is to embrace all of those alternatives to physical gathering and really take the public health guidance very seriously that we need to love our neighbors and not put our neighbors and vulnerable people at risk in the midst of a, a, a really serious public health crisis that we're having. Let's, let's take this in another direction here. Romans, you get to towards the end of Romans, and it talks about our relationship with the civil authority over us. Go ahead. Where, where can you lead us and, 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 and teach us from Scripture on how we should be thinking and acting biblically? Well, I think these questions about what to do in the face of the, of the virus and the, the public health measures that are being put in place and the restrictions and so on, I think is raising for a lot of people the issue of our bigger thinking about what does it mean to be Christians who belong to a political jurisdiction of some kind. We're citizens of different countries and states and counties mm -hmm. and so on. And so we really need to think about what is Scripture teaching us about the connection between faith and political life and governing authorities. So Hebrews... Mm -hmm. Uh, is, is really speaking to the church context. Something like Romans 13 speaks directly to the fact that the governing authorities were instituted by God. They're uh, put very positively as God's servants for good. So according to the, the world of Romans 13, 
Governing authorities are for our good. They're for the common good. They're instituted by God. They have value in God's way of uh, governing the world. So they're not necessary evils. They're actually uh, God-instituted means for the flourishing of the entire community. So we're invited as the natural ongoing stance to submit to them and to obey them. Now, there are exceptions to that, and we can talk about those if you wish, but the basic stance is that this is a God-instituted good for our good that we need, for the ordering of life uh, in a way that is pleasing to God. So the governing authorities have a role to play in doing things like regulating our public health, making sure mm -hmm. that the common good is met and is possible in terms of just our ability to get on with the ordinary things of life because public health measures are in place. Mm -hmm. There have been points in history, church history, where Christians have broken with civil authority. But you see, in principle, what I said was, in a sense, our fundamental kind of default position would be submission and loyalty and obedience to governing authorities. But that is always qualified in Scripture, that our first loyalty is to obey God. And if we're called upon to disobey God uh, by the state, by governing authorities, we should say, no, we cannot disobey God. Um, because we really have a limit upon the extent of our obedience to these governing authorities, uh, as good as they are in principle. But in many places around the world, our brothers and sisters, you see there's a, there's a globe over my shoulder here. It reminds mm -hmm. us that we're part of a global church. Many of our brothers and sisters are in countries where they're really being abused by the governing authorities, mistreated, unjustly treated. You mm -hmm. think of, uh, I was very much involved in a ministry that was engaging the world of South Africa and apartheid. Apartheid was an inherently racist, unjust social structure. In that case, this was a text that people were trying to build compliance with a racist, unjust system. They're saying, well, look at Romans 13. You must not protest. You must not mm -hmm. uh, uh, speak up against injustices. Whereas rather, I think the, the primary calling is first and foremost, obedience and loyalty to God and to his word, and to doing what is right in God's sight. And when that is in conflict with what our governing authorities are teaching us, the way of obedience to Christ needs to take first priority. Mm. Okay, good words. If you just joined us, you're listening to Haven Today. Uh, Dr. Jeff Greenman, he's the president of Regent College, a theological graduate school in Vancouver, British Columbia, is our special guest on this time together. Jeff, uh, one of the things I see... Anytime you speak about the need to put on a mask, anytime you speak about socially distancing, my freedom comes first. All right, you're a Christian ethicist. I know you take Scripture as sola scriptura. What's your response to this? Well, I think the emphasis upon my freedoms first concerns me. Actually, Charles, to hear that, uh, I do see it on Facebook and other places as well and in the kind of debate about these things. So what I would ask people to do is, is two things. One, step back a little and think about our cultural context and the ways in which our culture, our society, and the values that our society has might be really shaping our, us as Christians. So we all know from, and there's lots of data and lots of polls and surveys that could prove this to you if you, if you need it, both Canada and the U.S. are very individualistic countries. We value individual rights and individual freedoms very highly. So I think we should just, first of all, ask ourselves, is the cultural individualism of North America really shaping our way of thinking as Christians? So then the second thing I'd invite people to think about is really think biblically. So I think in biblical terms, my argument would be this, that freedom in Scripture, both Old and New Testaments, is really always for the, for the purpose of service. God is concerned with the freedom of his people, 
in, ex, in the Exodus, it's to set them free, but it's to set them free uh, in, a, in a wonderful moment of liberation so that what? So that they can worship and serve the Lord. So the freedom was for the sake of service, it was for the sake of worship, and it was for the, for the sake of others. So I think freedom is really about service. That's, that's a sort of biblical frame around it. It's not for doing what I want. It's not for doing my thing. It's not for pursuing my agenda, right? So freedom and the freedom that God gives us in Christ by the gospel is the freedom for his service and for his glory. There's a wonderful phrase in the Anglican literature. It's an old prayer that I believe goes back all the way to St. Augustine, if I've got it right, uh, that talks about uh, God whose service is perfect freedom. And it's mm -hmm. a beautiful phrase. It reminds us that, that freedom is for others. It is for responsible action in the world. It is for God's glory. And it's not just so that we get to do what we want in our own eyes. That's just not a biblical framing around freedom. So the, the issues around masks or be obeying different public health orders, I just think that if we think about ourselves a little more critically and our own individualism and think biblically that freedom is really given so that we will serve others, not that we'll get what we want. It might help us have a different sort of set of uh, eyeglasses, so to speak, to look at the question of masks and prohibitions and rules and regulations that we're all living with right now. Mm. And none of us like it, of course, you know, because not. if we're out of this individualistic culture, uh, which I am and you are, it's rubbed off a little bit. You know, we need to be on our knees and say, Lord, forgive me for these sin patterns that seem to want to take over in me. And back to what you were saying just a little while ago loving our neighbor. The, the, the virus has given all of us an opportunity to think more about our neighbors, to care about them, what's happening in our neighborhoods, other people that, that are part of our circle, who can we help with this, rather than what, what am I going to get out of this and how am I inconvenienced? I think the invitation of the gospel here is to think about the needs of others. Look mm -hmm. at this as an opportunity to serve. And, and we've connected more with our neighbors during the COVID period than we had yes. before. It's a real gift to us. And we're trying yes. to serve them and help them and stand alongside of them. And if you have other people in your world that are vulnerable or needy in a particular way, I, I would just invite Christians to really take seriously this as an opportunity to use your freedom for service of those and really show what it means to love your neighbor. I think that's an invitation that God's putting before us in these times. Mm, I think you're so right there. Well, thank you for this time we've had together, Jeff. I think it would be good if we close in prayer. You want to pray thy kingdom come for us right now, please? Lead us in prayer. I'm always interested in praying for thy kingdom to come. It's the great <laughs> prayer that Jesus taught us. But let me pray for all of us as we uh, seek to be faithful in these times. Mm. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of the gospel. We thank you for the wonder of faith in Christ, the one who has died and uh, been risen from the dead, triumphant over sin and death and hell. We thank you, Lord, that we have an opportunity in these times, difficult as they are, to serve you and to live lives that are pleasing to you. And so, Lord, would you enable us by the working of your spirit to do just that, to live lives that are pleasing to you in every way and give honor and glory to our Lord Jesus. And we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Jeff Greenman, president of Regent College in Vancouver. Thanks for joining me here on Haven Today. Glad to do it, Charles. It's a delight to be with you. Haven today and a special program called The Church and the Virus. And I'm so thankful that we were joined, maybe for the first time, by a Christian ethicist. He's also the president of Regent College in Vancouver, Dr. Jeffrey Greenman. 
He's been a friend of mine for a few years now, and I'd love you to hear more of this interview by visiting us at haventoday.org, where we have the unedited conversation for you to enjoy, and hopefully it will help you to think and act more biblically. I'd also like to suggest something else that I think you might enjoy. It's summertime. Many of us are just staying indoors, or at least around our house, due to what I've been calling a COVID-19 summer. That means a lot of movies and TV are being watched, video games being played. I'm going to suggest a film that my wife and I so enjoyed a few nights back, I still believe. Produced and directed by the Irwin Brothers, the same guys who made I Can Only Imagine and the Steve McQueen documentary. And I have to say, these guys keep getting better. And now they're back with I Still Believe, the true life story of Jeremy and Melissa Camp. His career was just taking off as the cancer in her body returned. And Jeremy says it was the hardest trial he's ever had to face. But as my wife and I watched, we were moved to see the unwavering hope that they found in Jesus. I believe after you watch it, you'll be moved as well and reminded that God's grace changes everything. I want to send you your own copy of the DVD, I Still Believe. I'd like to do it right away for your gift to the ministry. Please pray about how much the Lord would have you send. Here's the number to call right now. 800-654-2836. 800-654-2836. Or go online, watch the trailer and a clip from the movie, and then make your gift when you visit us at haventoday.org. That's H-A-V-E-N-T-O-D-A-Y, haventoday.org. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks for joining me. Won't you come back again next time when again we'll share together the great story, the story that's all about Jesus here on Haven Today. Here for your encouragement and your walk with God, this is David Wolin with Haven Ministries inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Is there someone in your life that you're especially thankful for? Someone you're honored to call your friend? Well, if you could go back to Genesis and ask Abraham that question, I think I know what his answer would be. In Chronicles 2, it says God considered Abraham a friend. And in the New Testament book of James, we learn why. It says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Don't you wish you could say that God considered you a friend? Well, you can, if you have saving faith in the Son of God. In fact, Jesus said to those who followed him, You are my friends, and you'll never find a truer friend than that. You can get your Anchor devotional in print monthly at getanchor.com.